Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolfe, and this week's episode is all about survival, using your wits and your knowledge of the environment to get by in a natural setting. If, like me, the extent of your survival skills is knowing where to find the plastic cutlery at Marks & Spencer's, don your hiking boots and pin back your ears, for uh, together we are about to be educated in the skills of bushcraft. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a strong throw from your front door. Hello, hello from beneath the jungle canopy. We're in uh, Highgate Wood. We're next to the Queenswood Cafe. We being myself and Wendy Payton of London Bushcraft. Hi. Hi. <laughs> London Bushcraft being what? Uh, London Bushcraft aim is to reconnect people more with nature, in particular people living in an urban environment like London. Um, a lot of people, especially with te- increase of technology, becoming more disconnected from their natural environment. Uh, so part of London Bushcraft aim is to connect people more with nature and using bushcraft as a medium to do that. I mean, it seems on the face of it like you've got your work cut out for you. I don't know, listener, whether you're able to detect in the background the sound of a chainsaw, which is not working in the forest, but is tidying up somebody's front yard over that way. On the other side, there's a main road. We've got an adventure playground, a well-constructed uh, cafe, and we're starting our bushcraft adventure with a uh, latte in each hand. It's not exactly being called back to nature, is it? <laughs> no, not, com- not completely. It's not like going out into the highlands in Scotland. However, it gives people a taste of something and you'll be surprised about what, what you can achieve in terms of people, how they go away feeling at the end of the day after a day like this. Yeah, and how much they get away, get away with it, get out of it <laughs> and get away with it. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to start off, uh, I'm not sure that we've got a, a fixed plan here, but we're going to try and cram as much bushcraft goodness into half an hour as we can. What have you got in mind for a first stop? Let's go have a look at some plants. Okay. 
I should say a thing or two maybe about Highgate Wood because not everybody will be here all the time. How would you locate us? It's right near Highgate Station on the northern line. It's about a five to ten minute walk depending on your pace of walking. Um, it's very easy to get to. Although we are near, near the cafe, the further you go into the woods, you feel more and more remote, you know, away from the traffic. Away from, away from those children. <laughs> or you might be with them though. Oh, do you do? Oh, you're often followed so, by the children. <laughs> no. So my courses are both for adults and children. Ah. Um, they're just as popular with either. I've seen things on TV that roughly resemble what we might be talking about here. And they always seem to end up with the presenter being obliged to eat some slug or something off the ground. We're not, we're not going down that road, are we? <laughs> I won't make you do anything you don't want to today. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound promising already. So, this is the plant I just wanted to show you. Oh, I, um, thought, I thought we were going to leave the reservation here, but no, in fact no, we've stopped no. just short. Just short of it. And part of it, I also like to show people, you know, the little plants that are growing up in the cracks in the pavement. And part of why I like to do that is to show people that these plants are edible and medicinal and they're growing in all sorts of um, hospitable places in London. And apparently London's the best place in the world, I've heard this quoted before, for foraging because I've had so much green space. But I also like to show people the well, plant. How, what? Sorry. How can that possibly be true? The, be- the best place in the world? No, 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 the best city. Oh, the best sorry. city the best in the world. City, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I might have uh, misled you there. The best city in the world because of all the green spaces. But I also like to point out the plants that grow up in the pavements, and this is one of them. One of the things I like about foraging is the plants don't need any care and these are the sorts of plants that grow in your garden so once you get to know these plants even if you're living in London you can go pick some or go to a park where there's not many dog walkers and um, pick yourself some uh, medicinal herbs so this is greater plantain I can tell we're already engaging with nature we have put down uh, Starbucks <laughs> so greater plantain and there's also called ribwort plantain which both have the same medicinal problems it's got um, it's got a lot of ribs down the um, the leaf and you'll know it as a garden a garden weed it's got one of those things that you pop off you ever do that as a kid you flick the, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the seeds of people the, the fluffy thing yeah <laughs> yeah and you can, the young leaves are best eaten in spring, but you can also use it. Um, it's good for healing wounds. Mm-hmm. So, uh, actually, my Polish friend was, uh, she, they use this quite a bit, and she told me her grandma, well, it's called grandmother's plaster, it's known as in Poland. How, how does it operate? So, you chew it, and then you stick it on your wound. So, your grandmother would chew it. I don't know if you are. It's not in a particularly good space, this one. Also in foraging, especially in London, you have to pick your places to forage. So we're right near the main road, so we'll want to pick here and probably a lot of dog walkers. So you'd want to pick where there's not so many dog walkers, away from traffic. And also you need to know 110% what you're picking as well. You're knocking on the door of a query that I've often wanted to put to somebody, and you, you might be the person. When you say it needs to be away from traffic, are you thinking in terms of the, the horrible uh, exhaust pollution, yeah, that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, that gets absorbed into the into the into the soil over time, and, right, so that, or even the fumes on the you know on the existing stuff. So, so tell me about uh, you know when you go down a, a very busy road and you've got a grocer's shop there with all these fruits sitting right by the main road. That can't be good, can it? No, it mustn't be good. However, I guess there's a there's a more of a turnover. The, 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 you know, there's more of a turnover and the fruit's being changed all the time. So I guess the impact's not as great. Fair enough, that's, I suppose. That's my, uh, mm. that's maybe not a scientific answer, but that's my, my feeling about it, yeah. Okay. You're quite right, though.
Yeah. So I suppose one of the big problems I'm going to have today is describing the plants. I noticed on your website it says that you do plant identification. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought that just meant looking at a picture and picking out which were the plants. But mm-hmm. I, think, I think you're going to greater depth than that. Well, for example, when you're looking at a plant, you've got to look, is it a tree or is it a little plant and go from there? And also... Um, these these are going to change. It's very hard. I think it's best for people to need to really get a hands-on view. And I always, even if I was showing this to some to someone on a course, you really need to watch it through the different stages because as a very young leaf, it's going to look a lot quite different as well. Oh, that's so I recommend to all of, all of um, people on my course. I show this is the plant, but you need to you know get to know it it's almost like with foraging you look at the forest and it all looks the same when you start to get to know it it's like seeing your friend in a group in a crowd Mm. and you can identify a friend so you really need to wash it throughout the seasons as well to be able to get a good sense of what it's going to look like so even if i describe it today it's going to look slightly different in spring and things like that as well so this is about really getting in touch with the environment rather than just wandering in for a day absolutely absolutely yeah Something I've just realised that we should say here is whatever we say and however we describe it through the course of this podcast, please don't go into your local woods and shove something in your mouth or masticate it and shove it on a wound. You need to be, first of all, trained by an expert. Yeah. Well, that's where where your course is coming. Absolutely, definitely. There are some plants that are poisonous, either to the skin, you know, irritants to the skin. There are some plants that are absolutely poisonous that you wouldn't want to um, ingest. So you do need to know what you're doing there. Can you see any of those from where we are right now? Um, I should say we're just, we're knelt down by the side here. We're looking into dense woods in front of us. Yeah. What can you see? The um, I can't see any umbellifers are the the plants that you really need to go to. That's one of the one the family that hemlock belongs to. So that's one of the family of plants that you kind of really need to know what you're doing. I can't see any here at the moment. Another one is yew. Um, that's highly poisonous. The little seed. And do you, particularly when you're dealing with kids, do you flag that up or do you just pass over it? Um, um, on my course, especially the one-day courses, I'll identify things that are people easy for people to um, identify, and also I'd only show children's things that they could they could easily identify. I wouldn't show them anything that looks similar to another plant. Right. So until people are going to get more in, in you know go more in depth with the foraging, I start off gentle at the start and, and easier for people to uh, identify. So I was struck by that image of a friend in a crowd. So as I say, we're not here. We've got a couple of decent-sized trees looming over us and uh, various shrubs and bushes and nearby some much lower-level stuff, half a foot, a foot tall. What are you seeing as you cast your eye across here? Uh, This is hazel tree. I don't know if you want to go further away from the road, though. Yeah, we certainly can do. Because we'll see more of these plants later on. As you cast your eye across, do you sort of see, ah, there's a bunch of edible stuff over there, here's a bunch of uh, stuff we need to be wary of? Yeah, absolutely. So all the time my eyes, uh, my husband drives him insane when we go for a walk because I'm always looking <laughs> and stopping and <laughs> smelling plants and things like that. So yeah, you've got cherry tree, you've got oaks, you've got sycamore here, you've got elder. Um, and that's just, you know, we've only walked literally about oh, 10 metres or 15 metres less than that. Is this a well-stocked wood in that regard? It's pretty good, yeah. I also find, though, some of the more open spaces for the smaller plants, like the weeds and things like that, like I've just identified up there, in places maybe you wouldn't expect to find, but sometimes they're, you know, they need more sunlight, so they're not so much in the woodlands as such. We've set off with a reasonable sense of purpose. Where are we off to? <laughs> We're going to take a, a walk through the woods and um, we'll look at anything that um, 
yeah, is of interest. All right, I'm going to put myself in your hands then. And on our right, a sort of a barricade has been made to stop people from tumbling down the bank there. Lots of bits of wood all wound together. Same thing to our right, and a, a bench and a seating area. So it's all pretty sparse. Even beyond that, uh, well, there's not much plant life going on there, really, on the face of it. Yeah, there's not a, low, a lot of um, lower-level plants here because of the canopy of the trees are blocking that out, um, them from growing. Um, but you do, yeah, we're in a woods now with mature trees, so that's where we're heading into now. So that's the classic thing, that it stops the light and the, the goodness from getting yeah. to the stuff down below. Yeah, if it's quite heavy, yeah, absolutely. This is hawthorn. I really like this this tree, but a couple of things about it is you can eat the berries. It's one of the berries up there. It's not a very heavily laden tree. Show me the berry. Ah, oh, yeah, there it is. Okay, yeah, kind of a um, dull, dull and orange. you can also eat the leaves in, in springtime, or they're best eaten in springtime when they're soft. So also that's another foraging thing to pick things when they're nice and green and not withered and horrible. So that's going to be delicious, that berry up there. <laughs> I'll leave that up to you too. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a go. Like, it's about eight feet off the ground, so we're going to struggle to get to it, but I'm going to give it a try. Okay. Can I pass you the mic? Yeah, yeah. Right, here we go. Success! So there we go. We've now, got a hawthorn berry. Probably, uh, would be a bit nicer if it was a deeper, deeper red, but uh, it's got a big seed in the middle, so you're just eating the flesh on the outside of that. Okay. You don't have any heart conditions, do you? <laughs> sound of man sound of man crashing to the floor if you're on heart medicine this can amplify the effect of heart heart medicines quentin was very you were very keen to eat that i didn't get a chance to tell you about that well it's not exactly bursting with flavor no i have made a fruit strap so some of the things that you forage with some of the um the plants are you know, it's a big success in some ways. I made a fruit a fruit strap out of these. You made a what? Uh, like a you know dried fruit uh, strap where you get the strap. <laughs> I've forgotten the correct word for it. Salad. <laughs> Basically, you get all the pulp from the fruit and you you oh, dry smoo- it. A smoothie. Oh no. And you dry it so it's like a yeah like a. I've never heard of this. This sounds like strap. witchcraft. <laughs> Well, apparently I would be a witch, apparently, because um, apparently you were classed as a witch if you um, went for a walk alone in the woods, you pick medicinal herbs, and you're, I think it was you're affectionate towards animals or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I am a witch in that case, then. <laughs> well, I'll be observing you closely for other witchy behaviour. This is my favourite outdoor loo can paper. I, can I just give you a... I was about... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I hesitate to interrupt an intro like that. <laughs> no, I just wanted to give you a um, post-match report on the hawthorn berry. Um, oh yes, we didn't talk yes, about that. Yes, the, yeah. fl- the flavour is creeping in. Okay, and um, um, it's got a very, it's got a vague sort of bananary taste to it. Yeah. And I, I want to call it like a, a plum in texture, but okay. only very, very faintly. Yeah. But not not much flavour overall. Yeah. Okay. I, won't, I won't be coming back to the hawthorn <laughs> no, bush anytime soon. <laughs> You can also make um, sort of like a savoury sort of ketchup-like sauce from that as well. <laughs> Your expression is priceless. <laughs> I don't think you'll be rushing out to make that by the looks of it. <laughs> I, think, I think it would sell really well, wouldn't it? Because it's just so unusual. Absolutely. And, and a lot of these, yeah, there's some cafes in London where this is becoming quite trendy. Really? Yeah, absolutely. There's not a few, um, but I have been to, um, yeah, somewhere it's, it's becoming a... Uh, more popular and trendy. 
Um, I forgot to tell you about the the hawthorn as well. And these are the kind of things I like to share with people because you start looking at nature in a different way. But apparently centuries ago, this used to be classed as uh, taboo, the flowers taboo to bring into the house. And apparently in more recent times, they've found that the blossom has the same chemical of the decaying body. So hence, this plant would have been associated, or the flowers would have been associated with death. So but, but I find that kind of thing really interesting. It, it doesn't necessarily have a, a, some sort of negative effect in and of itself. No, 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 but it's just the smell. Hmm. But um, yeah, these are the kind of wacky, wacky facts I like to share with people. <laughs> uh, I stopped you in the middle of saying something about uh, toilet, toilet paper. paper. Yes, so um, Hazel, this is my own, I don't know, you don't really call it an invention, but idea <laughs> of using a hazel if leaf. The, if the a... invention is to do what I think you're going to do, <laughs> that's not an invention. <laughs> And let me pick you a bit to see if you think this is a nice ply. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, a, a, a bit of description very quickly. The, the uh, hawthorn that we came from, very, very tall, branches quite high up, a, a spindly sort of tree. Uh, these hazel that we're looking at are much more like, um, well, they're kind of bushy, really. And Yeah, it is. And it kind has of a spray lot of, out, don't they? Yeah, a lot of straight, long, long um, branches rather than one thick one. Big flat leaves. Yeah, and they've got a little tip on the end of it as well. And they're very soft, the leaves. They're kind of round, the round leaves as well with, yeah, the tip on them. And they're very soft as well. And there's a little perforation line across the middle so that... No, I'm making that up. (laughs) (laughs) So this is your eco-friendly tube toilet paper. Um, Well, I believe... (laughs) I don't know how much you want me to go on about well, this. No, I, was just, I was just thinking in the spirit of the last bush, should I, should I give it a try? No, I'm not going to do that, not even for the podcast. Um, because I'll tell you the reason why have this plant is Have you tried good. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under what um, circumstances? Oh, when I'm going for a walk in the woods and I don't want to leave toilet paper. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, it's very environmentally friendly. So I can see why your husband disengages. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not this again. <laughs> The reason I've picked this paper is because it's also the wood is also very good for cooking on. So if you want to say <laughs> make some bread, use NB, use different leaves. <laughs> well, so, some 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 wood is not good. Like the elder tree is really not good for cooking on. Um, some are toxic. What do you mean when you say cooking on? Uh, so if you wanted to make a natural grill, or you wanted to wrap, um, you wanted to make a cross and put some fish over and, and lean it over the fire. Um, I think I need a picture of this. Um, so you've got you've got your leaves. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm imagining if you apply any sort of heat underneath them, they're going to wither or burn. So or we're not using the leaves for um, cooking. Right. <laughs> um, the the whole tree is quite well. They say sterile. It's good for um, you know. There's nothing sort of nasty in the wood that you're going to ingest. So there's particular woods that are recommended for cooking. Oh, with. I see what you mean. Right. Yeah. Which is hence why I've picked the leaf um, for cooking for that purposes of toilet <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's move swiftly on there's an interesting is that a bower no it's a, a sort of a fence structure going on over there um the hazel tree is also fantastic for making fences and one of the things i do on my course as well is make an outdoor sauna so to make an outdoor sauna, hazel is a very good tree for that because you can find one with a lot of branches on it and cut down really long straight ones. You bend them over into arches and create an igloo kind of shape and then you can put a big tarpaulin over the top of it and heat up from some... The, from the tarpaulin tree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, could, you could, you know, do it more natural if you had a lot of time. 
and make a little natural shelter, which I also do on my courses, make natural shelters. Uh, I haven't done it with the sauna, though, because I think people are really keen to just get in the sauna and, and get a structure built. Um, heat up some rocks and take some water in, and it's a lovely... I don't really like... Um, uh, man-made saunas but for me an outdoor sauna and then you step out into the woods is just yeah quite magical so that's something I, I do that in London so and I also like to relate some of this what I do back to um, different indigenous cultures around the world my friend's Canadian and she said the outdoor sauna is very much a part of their culture and actually it was when um, it was started, it was colonised that the Indian Native um, Americans, they used this technique to help purify themselves from all the toxins that they felt they were being exposed to. I wonder how they'd have coped in London, knowing that there's X amount more toxins going on. Yeah, so maybe we need to have regular saunas for all of Londoners, really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, purify I don't think it would be a bad time to mention the number of deaths that happen. Every, I know it's not a happy subject, but for goodness sake, somebody needs to be doing a lot more about it than anyone is. The air quality in London and other cities in particular, but just generally, is shocking. Was it, was it 50,000 deaths a year? Tens of thousands of people yeah. dying each year because of the poor quality of the air. Absolutely. We need uh, at least more saunas, but maybe something a little bit more drastic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I you know, I hope I can, in some small part, play some role in um, helping people to get more enthusiastic about nature and the value it provides us. Um, I mean, it's a very small contribution, but if everyone makes a small contribution, you hope it has a bigger impact. But well, it's a massive deal, isn't it? I mean, the, the idea of the the forest being the lungs of the planet is exactly right. Yeah, as you, as you'll know, if you go out into a, a wooded area or something, and suddenly you feel that the area is that that bit cleaner. Absolutely, and uh, you know, in some of my courses, we actually take things from the trees or the plants, but we do that very sensibly. So, for example, you choose you know trees where you can just cut down a branch rather than cut down the whole tree, and it just even with foraging or taking berries, making sure there's you know you're not taking everything from the one tree is enough for the birds and for other people to come when you pick the flowers you don't want to take them all because then there'll be no berries later on in the year so it's trying to you know also create awareness which you know indigenous people around the world have done for many times because even though even hunters and gatherers they return to the same place um in, in a lot of cases so just taking a little bit as you go so when i was in i used to run expeditions with young people and uh, one of the experiences, we, uh, we went to um, Botswana and spent a few days with the Kalahari Bushmen, which was an unforgettable experience, really. Yeah, amazing people. They can't quite um, hunt in the same way anymore. There's restrictions in the government of, of what they can do. Um, but we did, yeah, a, a couple of days with them. And, yeah, the same thing. They just, rather than take all the leaves from a plant, they'll take a couple and they explain to us, you know, that's so it can keep growing, etc. So I try and also incorporate in my courses, as I said, about, you know, different things. I've, yeah, been on many expeditions in different parts of the world and I try and bring that in my courses as well. That idea is so important in conservation and in, uh, well, just survival really, isn't it, on, on a, a global level. Uh, is, there, is there something in mind in particular, is there a particular aspect of environmental concern that uh, weighs on your mind or perhaps that you work particularly hard towards achieving? I mean, it might sound a bit simplistic, but just reconnecting people with nature so they can appreciate it and look after it more and have a bit more of a relationship with it. When there's no, I guess when there's no relationship, <laughs> there's, there's nothing put into it. But if people develop up a bit of a bond with it, so 
Yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was wondering what, because uh, obviously uh, some people will try and get out into an open space. We were talking some episodes ago to a, a geographer about how few people, particularly in built-up urban areas, particularly in deprived areas, how few people get out to a green space, even though they've got one usually not too far away as the, as mm. the crow flies. Um, what sort of reactions have you met with with people who've been engaging with nature? Um, they're quite amazed, actually. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this in a in a braggy way, but I I haven't really had negative feedback from my courses, and I'm not just saying that all. Well, I'm just being completely honest with you, but I think that's because it's just so needed, and and people are are not engaging with these, you know, with nature or bushcraft things. So um, quite a, quite a few uh, deaths from uh, people with heart medication issues but (laughs) but they haven't been able to leave negative feedback (laughs) (laughs) however i do stress sorry a little bit of knowledge can also be dangerous because i did have on my course someone else showing something else something he'd learned from another course and actually he was showing him the wrong thing he was telling me could eat a holly berry and he thought it was hawthorn so what would the effect be of eating a holly berry well, he did eat one, and he was okay. I don't know the exact quantity you would need, but it's a poisonous plant, so, um, yeah. Oh, you know what we should touch on? It's the obvious thing, but what about the mushrooms and toadstools thing? Um, I don't at London Bushcraft teach mushrooms and toadstools. It's quite a specific area. Because that can go really wrong, can't it? Yeah. So, I mean, London Bushcraft might in the in the future, but not at the moment. So I always steer, steer um, people to another organisation who's dealing specifically with mushrooms and fungus. So I would recommend that. What about you personally? Uh, a little bit, not loads, but a little bit. Yeah. Well, we're heading down past a junior jogging team. Uh, one of the other key things in, in London as well is to run these courses looking for places where I can have fires and people to understand that I'm going to do it sensibly. Yeah, so that's, I guess, one of the things that London Bushcraft, the different sites about what we do. I can't imagine anybody being over keen to have you fire starting. No, so that's one of the challenges. But I do have, uh, so for example, in this Queen's Wood property, you can't in the woods have a fire. But behind the cafe, there's an area where I've, you know, had cooked a lunch with a, a family before who had made a private booking. So there are ways around it, um, you know, the restrictions of doing this in London. We've moved a little way down the path and into the wood now. There's a lot more green and it's a lot taller, but what should I be seeing? <laughs> uh, we've got quite a lot of beech trees. There's a couple of oak trees as well. So the ones with the smooth um, branches are your beech trees. These are not the best to, um, when they get a lot bigger, they're not the best to camp underneath because at any point one of the limbs can snap off. Ah, okay. We also have, um, from Australia, which I didn't mention, and uh, in Australia they call the eucalyptus tree the widow makers because the same thing happens with them, <laughs> that all of a sudden without warning, you know, you won't see, you know, possibly sort of with an, an oak tree, you might see a dead standing branch and you'll say, well, I won't camp under that. But, you know, it could be a live, a live limb that just breaks off. So, Well, you've opened my eyes already. That would never even occur to me to think about things falling off. Yeah, definitely. Always look up when, you, when you're camping, even if there's, you're not in a beech wood. So, yeah, really not recommended to camp in a beech wood. So that's, uh, well, the, the beach area, I guess, those smooth tree trunks are set in an area which is, apart from being covered with leaves, 
fairly empty. Yeah, the leaves don't do decompose very well, um, so you often get not much growing on the ground around. Oh, because they're blocking up to the, the possibility of plants coming up. On the other side, however, it's a festival of green. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, once you start to get to know um, the woods, you start to see. So we've got some ash trees. There's a couple of ash trees here. This is a magnificent tree. This is one of my favourites. <laughs> All sorts of things you can get from this tree. It's fantastic wood for burning on a campfire. It burns long and hot. Have you know? Have you ever made a campfire and it burns out really quick and you've got hardly anything embers to cook on? I don't know how often mm. you've cooked on a on a fire, but uh, mo- most of my campfire experience seems to be um, uh, holding up various fire making implements to uh, wet wood and achieving nothing for hour after hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the look of pained sympathy. <laughs> How do we how do we recognise our ash tree? Uh, it's got pink. Uh, sorry, not pink. <laughs> <laughs> that would make it too easy. If you have a look. Okay, we're, we're pulling down a branch. Can here. you see the black tips on the end of the branches? Oh yes. Okay. So not on the and leaves the pears, themselves. In and between. the leaves are in pairs as well. Um, but the black tips. You know, it's a tree. It's not a, a plant. If people are, you know, it's not a small plant. And it also has these little keys growing on it. I don't know if we can see some. Um, they're best in springtime, and you pickle them, and they're absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> With cheese and crackers. <laughs> see, this is the element I like to sometimes mix the, you know. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now the raw, raw bushcraft with the, maybe the more, um, I don't know what you call it. Uh, oh, the culinary, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So I make some really nice pestos with some, uh, it's one of the plants called Jack by the Hedge, dandelion leaf and uh, steam nettle in the springs. Lovely. That sounds delightful. It is beautiful, yeah. Do you make business out of that or is that just for... Uh, I supply, if uh, if we're making a lunch, uh, I often supply these things to complement the lunch. So we, on a course we might make some bread, then I'll bring along some of my pestos and some of my jam. Last course I had an adult's foraging uh, birthday party, I even took along a bottle of elderberry wine <laughs> as a bit of a treat. <laughs> Presumably that's a lot of work that's got to go into one jar of uh, conserve or whatever it might be. Uh, it is quite a bit, yeah. yeah. I tend to do it in big batches, yeah. <laughs> So you were walking through the forest with a satchel on your back? Yeah. Chucking them in there? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We're going to head down. Where, which way are we going? We've got a fork in the yeah, route. Yeah, this way. Down. OK, off to our right. I wish I had bought you some uh, goodies to try now. Yeah, I wish you had as well. I thought you were. I thought you were going to bring... <laughs> I thought there'd be a feast element Should to this. Should have had a bit more of a brief to bring you some goodies. <laughs> what did you get? I got one hawthorn berry. <laughs> well, there's some blackberries if you want some. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're uncomfortably close to the path for me. Yeah. Uh, well, the ones higher up, I, I didn't have an issue. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick the ones down low, but the ones mm. higher up, I, I wouldn't have for me. A little bit manky, aren't they? Yeah, there's a few there. Yeah, it's oh, getting yeah. a little. It's it's past their best at the moment, so we're the, left with the crumbs at the moment. Right, exactly. I think maybe somebody's done this bush. Maybe they've had the good stuff. <laughs> have you been past here with a bag already? Not with a bag. I have been past here though. I had a nibble <laughs> on the way. <laughs> So is it uh, is it actually possible, or is this romanticising it, that you could fail to eat your lunch and come out for a walk and satisfy your hunger in the woods? Uh, I mean, there's not a lot. I mean, you have to be a bit smart about your, your carbohydrates. Uh, something like burdock has a lot of uh, carbohydrates in it, but in London you're not allowed to uproot things. Um, so, well, actually, no, sorry, not just London. That's a, across the board. I uh, need to know more here. What do you What do you mean? Uh, if there's any plants that you can forage, but it's the route you're after, you're not allowed to uproot unless you've got um, special permission anywhere in the UK. Actually, oh. yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. That opens the door onto foraging rules. What other rules do we need to know about? Well, in specific areas, there's um, you're not allowed to pick. So in Queenswood, actually, you're not allowed, not supposed to forage. So. Uh, just remember that. Why, whoa, what? Hurry, haven't we? Um, <laughs> so you need you need to have a look at you know. So that you was need an illicit, an illicit berry. Turn looks like it actually. Oops. Well, at least nobody. Luckily, only put, picked one. Yes, and broadcast it. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been better if we snaffled a truckload and not broadcast it. Better. Yes, then nobody would know. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused now when I'm agreeing to. <laughs> so we were taking that berry really by way of illustrating what you should not do. Don't ever pick berries in Queenswood. That's correct. Or actually foraging general. I'll, I'll put the berry back. <laughs> but actually all the other places that I um, run my courses, you can actually forage. This is one, one of the kind. This has got a Friends of Queenswood, which, yeah, look to protect it. So I guess, that you know, talking about protecting the environment, this is one of them. We have stopped near a, well, it's a bit too green for a pond. A watering hole? Yeah, watering hole, pond. <laughs> um, one of the things I do on my course, actually, now we're, now we're by the water, is uh, filter and purify water. 
So um, on a course, if you just come over here. We're not going to end up drinking. I should explain. We're, we're walking over towards a an area that looks like it's made for the set of a horror movie. <laughs> there's a fenced-off fenced off area, and then in it there's the most appalling, muddy lake covered over with algae. There could be dozens of corpses under that. <laughs> Are you not selling it? Um, it's not easy on the eye, is it? No. But, however, how you're saying that, uh, this could be a very good place to learn how to filter water. Um, so take it out. and well, uh, drink it. Well, at least see how, how clear you can get it. So on my courses, we've made some um, natural water filters. So even if you're not drinking, because they always say to drink the most cleanest source possible to you. And because we're here, this is not the cleanest source possible to us. We'd have cleaner stuff. But in, if in a survival situation... Um, filtering that, getting out the turbidity, um, and then boiling it, you can get out, you know, the the viruses, bacteria, parasites, as well. The one thing that's hard to get rid of is um, the chem- if there's chemicals in there. But I actually teach people also to make charcoal as well. What does that do for you? Uh, charcoal helps to remove some of the chemicals. Perhaps not as good as a commercially made one, but it would do something if you're in a survival situation. As in what, you, you filter the water through charcoal? Yeah, so you could put it through a container, you know, get some bark, put some natural material in, filter the water, or you can use clothes as well to help filter it in to get out, um, yeah, to so, get out the stability. So one of the, the skills it seems necessary to have, or one of the facilities that you need at your disposal in a survival situation is uh, the ability to make fire. Absolutely, yeah. Should we walk up here? Actually, I've got some good things to talk about. Yeah, going sure. By. We're rounding Corpse Pond, as I shall, <laughs> from here on know it. So I wanted to show, show you this fallen uh, birch tree. So this is a fantastic tree to uh, be able to identify. Like I talked about, the ash is fantastic for um, lighting fires. This is even better. has a lot of natural oils in it. So the bark, if you get a small small ember, small flame, and you can peel the bark off. Some of them peel easier than others, but if you get a knife, you got a knife into that, you'd be able to peel it a bit easier. This is a fantastic tree, so always look under a birch tree for um, yeah, little twigs and things like that because the wood's going to burn fantastically. You can also tap this tree. I've made a wine from this tree. This particular tree? Yeah, but well, not this particular one, but this uh, birch trees. Yeah, otherwise you would be accusing me of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. destroying Another it. crime that we need to register. Uh, yeah, so same with the wine, the wine, you know, tapping a tree. Uh, you need to pick a tree that's healthy and not go back to the same tree year on year uh, because you're taking part of it, you're taking sap out of the tree. Yeah, I'm sure I've heard this story about people travelling through the bush and tapping some sort of plant to get water out but then stopping it back up so that it can be used again yeah. or it can replenish. Absolutely. So, yeah, you need to stop it um, up. I've tried a few different methods and, yeah, I found one that works for me. Just in case the listener happens to be passing a tree right now and wants to immediately tap it, what do they need? Well, the first year I did it, I used a, I did it, uh, what I thought was the bushcraft way. So I did it with a knife and uh, made an incision into the tree. And then I put a little stick, carved a little stick flat on one side and put it into the tree. And then I put a container, I just had a plastic bottle that I tied underneath it to catch it. However, it was very hard to patch the tree up. It's like putting a plaster on the tree. Mm. <laughs> so researched it a bit more and the next year I actually drilled a ha- with a hand drill, drilled a little hole and put a little uh, plastic tube in it. 
not really the bushcraft way, but actually I found it was better to plug it up because you could get a circular then stick and plug it up and make sure it wasn't mm. still leaking the, the sap. So, yeah, a bit of uh, combining man-made and, yeah, natural stuff, if, if it's in the interest of nature. So what happens if you, if you let the... In the case of the first tree, does it sort of bleed out? What happens to it? Uh, well, the tree's, still, the tree's still there, but, yeah, it can continue for a couple of weeks because it only draws up the moisture the sap for a few weeks so a hmm. um, few weeks of the year so it would continue doing it for a couple of weeks if you didn't do it and that needs that nutrients for the for that year oh so you've really hobbled that poor tree sorry you killed the tree no <laughs> i kept going back and patching it up with uh, i use wax actually just stand the there tree. for a fortnight with your finger in the hole yeah 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 <laughs> anything in the name of nature <laughs> Uh, you mentioned we might be looking at fire. Yeah. So, so how do, yes. Yes. What would you? Uh, well, there's, so a pi- we, there's a picture of you on your website. Yeah. And it appears that you're f- uh, flourishing fire out of thin air. <laughs> uh, this is the one thing actually people really enjoy doing on courses. So there's a variety of methods you can light fire with. There's a friction fire method using you know two sticks to create fire. There's flint and steel, which in this country was used for you know quite a long time before matches. Um, other cultures, for example, around the world have moved on more quickly from using, um, you know, dependent on what they had in their environment. So in Australia, before white settlement, they were still using the friction fire lighting method. Um, but here, and it's also a wet country as well, maybe it had to be a bit more, mm. you know, creative on how they could make fire easier. So what's the, what's the go-to method here if we needed to start a fire right now? Uh, well, we'd need to use uh, friction fire lighting. However, you would we do also need a knife so you can carve the different the size of the wood as well. Well, that looks easy. Uh, a knife, no problem. Let's assume we've got one of those. But we're on a damp day. How long before we could get a fire started from, uh, from a standing start? A damp start? day is not really a problem if you know how, how to get around it. So there's different ways you can try and get into it, even if when you've got your branches that you're going to put on your fire to try and get into the heartwood so you can carve off all the... and get into the dry wood of the the branches mm-hmm. the heartwood so you can you can get a fire going in in all sorts you just need to be a bit more creative you need a lot of lot of um very fine sticks to get it going because we all you know with fire lighting we go into it when my course is about the the science behind fire and how you know about the surface area and what size twigs you need to work your way up to get it your successful fire and fire is all about preparation so the more you prepared the more you're going to have success hmm. So, so how long would we be looking at? Do you reckon, from a, from a standing start? The preparation? No, no. If we needed to start a fire right now, and we had all the all the everything we needed to go. Ah, uh, five minutes. Really? Yeah. Astonishing. Yeah. And what's the prep time? A week. Uh, well, you want to you want to create collect enough wood as well. Yes. You've got to collect if you're doing a friction fire. You need to you know have a bit of time. So, a couple of hours if you want if you're doing oh. it from friction. If you didn't have it with you there. So you want a team of helpers, and then the maestro steps in and does the does <laughs> yeah, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> but there's various other methods as well. Flint and steel, uh, if you had that with you, and it just depends how many people you had collecting firewood, really. Depends on the age group collecting the firewood. <laughs> with children and adults, there's a big difference, so <laughs> that's a hard question to answer in a way. <laughs> Presumably the age of the adult is also important. Uh, I imagine past a certain age, they'll, they'll bend down for their first piece well, of yeah, firewood quite and right there. <laughs> remain there. Um, this is an area where we do a bit of shelter building, so natural shelter building. Plenty of fallen timber where we yeah, are. Yeah, fallen timber and lots of leaf litter. So, you know, all of these things are possible in, in London to 
yeah, work on these skills and learn different things. How come we're not seeing more abandoned shelters? How co- uh, I, I presume there must actually, be lots of bushcraft people. We did see one up on the other end. I should have pointed it out. Uh, and they're actually here, just here today. There was a group here. I think they were a forest school group. So, so it's what, a well-used wood. What sort of people do you, do you get on your courses? And I've, I've picked up that you're taking couples out um, to do private courses and uh, some children. Are you one of those corporate away day type yeah, events so as well? corporate away days, birthday parties for adults and children, school bookings as well. So uh, one school I'm, I'm working with, it's a really interesting program. The kids are studying, they're year six kids, and they're studying um, Native Americans, the Ojibwe tribe actually. Right. And we talk a lot about, you know, they used to make birch canoes and yeah hunt and gather so we talk a lot about that and then you know in the course they learn more about the Ojibwe tribe but get to put it to life so we light a fire we talk about how they used to light a fire we light a fire together and we talk about how they used to forage we you know we make something like a wild soup and yeah really gives a sense of bringing things to life I do bespoke courses so people come to me and ask um, they want something and then I'll just try and create something with what yeah what they want and how many people they've got and where they're based as well. So I've got different locations I use in London. So I just try and um, base around their needs and desires. And I've just taken a group. Uh, it's, it was a small family booking, actually, and they wanted to go camping. And we went. In, uh, she didn't want to go very far from London. We went in Essex and the campsite there. And she's just come back to me and said she wants me to go up to take her to Scotland. So <laughs> doing all sorts of things, depending what what people are people are after really well, that's going to present loads of challenges presumably with different plants being up there and so you've got to know all the flora and fauna of the different regions as well yeah and they do change quite a bit in the different um and the altitudes as well right it's not like going from england to australia <laughs> so <laughs> the differences aren't that as extreme if you had to characterize london in terms of those qualities as a distinct from somewhere else in the world what are the sort of characteristics that london has I, to be honest, I think it's a for for a city. I think it's a plentiful place for um, for nature. As I was talking about before, yeah. it's a very green city. I think it's a great a great place for for foraging. <laughs> but maybe I'm I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're heading back to the uh, cafe now, where I intend to forage myself a large slice of cake. <laughs> I, I've just got one question, actually, Remote. Did, did you say you live in a a house in London? Yes, I live in a house in London. Yeah. What does your garden look like? Uh, jungle <laughs> jungle I've got you know I've got uh, weeds growing that uh, other people perhaps wouldn't have there yeah I don't really like manicured gardens I like wild spaces so my gardens are wild space as well so your neighbours are always looking out of the window at your tutting yeah and fires and things like that <laughs> in East London <laughs> they're used to me by now though if people are interested in getting in touch to do with courses whether bespoke or more general how can they best approach you uh, anyway. they look for smoke signals rising from oh, the right, yeah. <laughs> centre of the forest <laughs> smoke signals that will say uh, www.londonbushcraft.com <laughs> Wendy Payton thanks very much indeed thank you and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Wendy Payton. Thanks too to Sue Sinton Smith and Bernie Barclay. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe.